All right, so Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel lived at the time in Israel, uh, actually he was in Babylon, just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And, um, and he was prophesying regarding that. And it seems that this chapter takes place just prior to that time. John, can you take a look at the thing? I hear, I hear a ringing. Maybe lower the top thing there. Okay, so chapter 33, starting verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, which would apply to us today as well. When I bring the sword on the land and the people take a man and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming on the land, if he blows the shofar and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the shofar and does not take warning, his blood shall be on his own head. Right? So we talked about shofars being used in times of battle and his warnings for war. And so he makes that analogy that uh, war is coming and they were under siege at this time. Set someone to blow the shofar and to announce the enemy coming. And anyone who's stupid enough not to listen to that and to run inside the city and, and, and be protected by the walls, then that's their fault and it'll be upon them. They'll be accountable for their own actions. He heard the sound of the shofar. He did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life, right? So we hear the warning and uh, the siren's going, hurricane's coming, whatever, and we prepare and we go and then we save our life, right? Makes sense. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the shofar, the people are not warned, the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Okay, so the watchman hears that, uh, sees the army coming, doesn't blow the shofar, doesn't warn the people, and they get attacked, and the farmers out there, not in the city, they get killed, then it's the watchman's fault for not warning and shutting the gates and, and the destruction that takes place. Right? And that makes sense also, right? If, if there's someone in, and they see a fire in a building and they just run out and they don't warn anyone, they don't say anything, they don't, and, and, and no one knows, and many people die as a result, then that person would be accountable, right? That just makes sense, right? So same thing there. So now he makes this spiritual analogy. Verse 7, Son of man... I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. You shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say, wicked man, you shall surely die. If you do not warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Okay, so God's called Ezekiel and really all of us to be watchmen. And when we say the wicked man surely dies, if, he does, if we do not warn him, then his blood would be upon us. Verse 9, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his sin, iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So he's talking, obviously, here not about life and death here on this earth, like in a war analogy that he did in the beginning, but he's talking about saving our soul or losing our soul. He's talking about eternity. Here, that if we do not do what God has called us to do and warn, then we will be held accountable. But if we do warn, we'd save our own soul. But the person who didn't listen, they would be held accountable for not listening. Verse 10, Son of man, say to the house of Israel, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, 
and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Right? That, again, just makes sense. If we're, if we're living in sin and our sins have, are causing the troubles that we're going through, and the Bible makes it clear that the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon was as a result of, of our sins. And, and so he says, well, how can we expect to live if we've got these sins on our record? Right? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Right, so God doesn't desire that anyone die in this life or for eternity. That's not his desire. That's not his plan. He desires that all will make a choice and serve him and live for him. He chooses that all turn, so he causes for this turning. Turn, turn, O house of Israel. That's the word teshuva. And again, that the Sabbath between Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, is Shabbat teshuva, this Sabbath of turning, turning from our sins, turning back to God. And that's what God calls us to do, and he's provided a way that we can receive forgiveness. He's provided a way that we can be delivered from our iniquities. He's provided it from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve on down the line. He provided a sacrificial system. Uh, Adam and Eve were clothed with animal skins. Well, where did they get the animal skins from? From the sacrifices. We have in the Cain and Abel story. Uh, Abel offered the right sacrifice, and Cain refused to. Uh, we have Moses building the Mishka. Well, we have before Moses, we have Abraham. And we talked about Abraham and his son Isaac. And Abraham willing to offer his son Isaac, and God using a substitute. God using a ram in place of his son, to the substitutionary atonement. Just as he said here, you shall surely die. Well, that's what God said to Adam and Eve. If you sin and eat from that tree, you will surely die. But God here is saying that he would allow atonement to be made. He allowed uh, a substitute to come in our place. And so for Adam and Eve, he provided a substitute. For Abraham, for Isaac, he provided a substitute. And for us, he's provided a substitute. When he had Moses build the temple, build the Mishkan, he provided the sanctuary service. And the very first item, the piece of furniture you came into when you entered the sanctuary, was the brazen altar, where the sacrifices were made on a daily basis, morning and evening sacrifices, plus any that we would bring to ourselves, on our own, for ourselves. And as would atone for our sins. Moses wrote that the sinner, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And we need a blood sacrifice to atone for our sins. The price has to be paid. A sin was done, a mistake was made, a choice was made. It's already in the past. The only way we can live is by having those sins forgiven. And God has provided a way. And that's what the Mashiach is all about. That's the whole essence of the, of the Messiah, was that God would provide a sacrifice for us. He'd provide himself. And that's what Abraham said to Isaac. Isaac said, they're working for three days. He says, Dad, you know, I just realized we've got wood, we've got fire. We didn't bring us, we got a knife, but we didn't bring a sacrifice. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And that's what God has done. God's provided himself. All those lambs, all those sacrifices were representation of him of what he does for us, that he has become the sacrifice for us in our behalf. So he doesn't desire that we die, and he gives us every opportunity to live. He gives us every opportunity to have the sins forgiven and blotted out of our record books. The judgment, the Rosh Hashanah judgment, is not a weighing out of good deeds and bad deeds. 
It's not, well, if I just do enough good deeds, well then, and then as long as I do one more good deed than, than the bad deeds, then I'm okay. You know, or, or, or if I do some really, really big good deeds, then that'll weigh a whole lot of little bad deeds. That's not how it works. All the bad deeds got to be gone, cleansed off, and removed, forgiven, blotted out by that sacrifice, and then God filling us with his good deeds. So that's what he's saying. Turn from your evil ways so that we don't die. Verse 12. Son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression, nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. Okay, so he's introducing a new character here. We've had the watchman, we've had the wicked, and now he talks about the righteous. Now, the only difference between the righteous and the wicked is that the righteous have asked forgiveness for their wickedness. That's the only difference. There aren't some people who are born wicked and some people who are born righteous. We're all born wicked. Now, you might think you were born, you know, better, you know, not, but, uh, but... we're all born wicked. We all have an inclination to do wrong. That's why it's easier for us to do wrong than it is to do right. You don't have to teach a child how to lie. You don't have to teach a child to take the biggest piece of cake. Right? That comes naturally. Right? You have to teach a child to say, I'm sorry. You have to teach a child to share. You have to teach a child to be nice. Right? Those things don't come naturally. Our selfishness comes naturally. And that goes back to Adam and Eve. They were created naturally to be good, but they chose to be bad. And we've all come from them, so we receive their inheritance. We're born really in their image, in the natural inclination to do wrong. But God says, I give you the ability to turn. I give you the ability to change, not in your own power, but in my power. So he describes here the righteous man, so a righteous person who realized they were wicked, who confessed their sins to God, who accepted the sacrifice in their behalf, who repented of their sins, and began living by God's power and God's grace a righteous life, if they then later on choose, in the day of his transgression, chooses to sin after that, then he shall not be able to live because of his sin. And he continues... As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. So a righteous person who turns from his righteousness shall not live. A wicked person who turns from his wickedness shall not die. It's a nice deal. Amen. That's good news. That's good news. God has given to us the most wonderful gift. Well, several wonderful gifts. The, the, The sacrifice, the atonement. He's also given us the wonderful gift of free choice. This is very powerful. You know, there are atheists that say, and try and taunt us and say, oh, you know, is God so strong and God so mighty that he can create a rock that's so big that he himself can't lift it? You know, what a stupid question. (laughs) Of course he could, but he's not stupid enough to do such a thing, right? Well, who would do that? But in a sense, he has done that in creating free choice. He's given us something that he chooses not to have power over. That's why Adam and Eve were allowed to sin. 
They gave them all these trees in the garden. They can eat from whatever they want. Just this one as the test. The test of loyalty. And he gave them free choice. And he gives us free choice today. And he'll give us free choice for eternity. And that's in the love of God. Verse 13. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he committed, he shall die. Okay, so he was righteous. He says, when a righteous, when the righteous, so he was someone who was wicked, turned from his wickedness, confessed, repented, accepted the sacrifice, and received God's spirit to do right. But then he trusts in his own righteousness. So he's going along pretty good in God's righteousness, and then after a while, he stops relying on God's power to do what's right. So I'm doing pretty good here. I can handle this. And starts trusting in his own abilities, his own mind, his own thoughts. Well, God said I can't eat, but why not? Why not? What's wrong with this tree? I can eat from all the other trees. Abraham, God promised me a son. Well, Sarah's too old, so why don't I try this other way? Trusting in our own thoughts, our own righteousness, our own ways, our own devisings. Well, that was written a long time ago. We know better now. We're so much smarter now. When we trust in our own righteousness, our own ways, and our own thinking, and our own ability to solve our own problems and to help ourselves. And as King Solomon wrote, pride cometh before the fall. So we trust in our own righteousness, and then we fall. And so then, none of his righteousness will be remembered. It's blotted out of the record books. The books are open, and there's nothing there anymore. All the rights has been removed because of the transgression. And God, that's what God did to Adam and Eve. One sin, he said, sorry, you can't be here. That's what he said to Lucifer in heaven. Sorry, you don't want to be here. You want to rebel, then you don't have a right here. Right? So God's love and his mercy is poured out for us, pre-forgiven to us, but he won't force it upon us. He won't force us to be in heaven if we don't want to be there. Right, so he's loving enough to provide every way that everyone can experience it. But he's not stupid enough to let everybody back who doesn't want to be there. And they wouldn't be happy anyway. Verse 14, again when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sins and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. So right there he describes the path of going from being wicked to go, being righteous. Realize that we're wicked. Restore the pledge. Again, confess the sin. Realize that we're wicked. Confess it before God. Accept his atonement that he's provided for us in the sacrifice of himself. And repent. That means turn. Restore the pledge, right? So it's not just forgiveness. It's more than just forgiveness. It's also then living rightly. Restoring the pledge. Not in our own power, because we saw what happened to the guy who trusted in his own righteousness, but trusting God's ability to restore the pledge, to make it right, to follow through. And that's why there's 10 days. Over these next 10 days, we allow God to search our hearts and, 
in our memories and see if there's any promises that we made, anything that needs to be restored, anything that needs to be made right, any, any promises, any pledges that we made that we haven't followed through on, that we then, by God's power, make it right. Call people up, apologize for any wrongs we did, and do all that we can on our part. Forgive anyone who hurt us, by God's power. We don't have the power to forgive in our own strength. And let God work through us to love them and forgive them. Give back what he has stolen. So again, make it right. It's not just, oh, I'm forgiven, so I can just continue now living. God forgives me. Well, yes, he does, but it, he does more than just forgive us. He then changes us and transforms us. Teresa was telling me today that the, we have some, we have an orange tree in our back here, and uh, we have some worms on it, or caterpillars on it. And they're eating up all the branches, and they're killing the tree. You know, the ugly, ugly, ugly caterpillars. And that's what we're like. That's what we look like. But the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And that's the transformation that God does. It's that miraculous. It's that transforming. He doesn't just say, oh, I forgive the caterpillar. Oh, let him eat the trees and kill the trees. You know, I like caterpillars. No, he changes the caterpillar, and he changes us. We no longer eat and destroy trees. We no longer crawl around in the mud. We no longer exert green stuff when we get squashed. You know, we become butterflies and fly around, pollinating and being beautiful. And that's the transformation that God does. Restores the pledge, returns what he has stolen, walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity. So he transforms us so much that we no longer commit iniquity. That's what it says. Not just there, many other places in the Bible. Now people say, oh, that's impossible. God knows we're human, and we're going to continue to sin, and that's just how we are, and that's just how it is. And that is a really weak God. <laughs> that he can't change us, that he can't change our hearts, that he can't give us the power to not rebel against him, that he can't give us the ability to, to not disobey him. That's a pretty poor statement about God. Yeah, we're human, but he changes us. He transforms us. He renews us. And if that was the case, that we couldn't not sin, then Adam and Eve would have a good argument against God. How dare you kick me out of the garden? You created me this way, and I had no choice. I had to sin. Those would say, how dare you kick me out of heaven? You created me that way. I had no choice. But we do have choice. And we can't do right without God. But with God, we can do what's right. We can make the right choice by his power. And we can follow through with it. The Bible talks about God giving us the, the desire and the will and the ability to do. To will and to do of his good pleasure. He gives us the desire, the will, and the power to do. Both of those things come from God. A lot of times we will, we desire to do right, but we trust in our own righteousness, and then we can't. But when we combine the two, and both come from God, the desire to do what's right, and God's power to do what's right, he comes through every time. And he's demonstrated that here on this earth. So, walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, so that way next year we haven't built up sins. And I'm not talking about not making a mistake. I'm not talking about not hitting your thumb with a hammer sometime. You know, 
I'm talking about choosing. I know this is wrong. I know the Bible says this. I know it. I feel convicted it's wrong, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Right? That's rebellious sin. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about a mistake. You know, I'm not talking about non-thinking action. I'm thinking about, well, I was rude sometime. You know. But I know I'm going to be, I hate that person. I'm going to just step in there. I'm going to interrupt that conversation. I'm going to, I don't, I want to just disrupt. I'm going to get them fired. I'm going to say this about choosing to do what's wrong. That's what the biblical definition of sin is. Knowing to do right and not doing it, right? So there's no reason by next year that we have chosen, rebelliously, consistently chosen to disobey God and rebel against him. And he has the power to give us that change, to do that in us. So then we can live. Because right? he's not going to let us in with rebellion on our heart. We'll just ruin the place. And then he'd have to start all over again. He's not going to want to start all over again. Now, for eternity, we'll have free choice. And it won't be, the Bible promises there won't be sin again after he creates a new heaven and new earth. But it's not because we can't sin. It's because we won't sin. We'll see what we've done to this planet. And we have made our choice once and for all. That's why the books are sealed on Yom Kippur. People have made their choice and we won't choose again wrong. That's what God's waiting on. That's really what he's waiting on to end the Yom Kippur. Verse 16, none of his sins which he committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right and he shall surely live. Again, Yom Kippur, not written in the books and record anymore. Blotted out of the books. Shall not be remembered. Right? So, you committed a sin yesterday, and you confess it before God today, you accept his sacrifice and atonement, and you repent of it, and then tomorrow you go, hey God, do you remember what I did a few days ago? He's going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not remembered, it's been blotted out, it's removed, it's not there anymore. It's been cast down to the depths of the sea, removed as far from you as the east is from the west. It's gone. And we don't have to dwell on it anymore either. And we don't have to pine away and feel guilty about it anymore. He's released us and set us free. That's why we can go into Sukkot rejoicing. Because we've been liberated from the guilt and the burden of that. Verse 17, yet the children of your people say, the way of the Lord is not fair. But it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. No matter how he was born, no matter what a nice person he was, we turn from our wickedness, we will die. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Right? And so God's not wanting to find us in a fault, not waiting until you, you know, blow it one day and then he brings down and you die right then and there. He does everything he can. That's what the Rosh Hashanah is about. Blowing the shofar, we got 10 days. Symbolic again, we got this time that he's warning us and warning us, and he's pre-warning us. And he's been pre-warning us throughout our lives. Giving us opportunity, moving upon our hearts and minds to draw us to him. And brought us to this day. And then, and on past. Right? So he pre-warns, he doesn't want us to die, he doesn't desire the death of anyone. He warns us, but if we choose to rebel, we'll bear the consequences. Yeah, you say the way of the Lord is not fair. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> we should all go to heaven. Oh, it's all be good. Except that bad person. I don't, he shouldn't be there. <laughs> my boss or you know, my landlord. This person, my ex, whatever. You know. 
O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. Right? God's just. God's fair. God has provided the way. And he'll judge it based on our choices and not on anything else. On the judgment, you won't be able to blame your parents, your grandparents, or anyone else. It'll all be based on the choices we have made. And he's giving us that opportunity to allow our hearts to be searched and tried. So we looked at several different people in this chapter. The watchman who blows the shofar. The watchman who doesn't blow the shofar. The wicked who does not repent. The wicked who does repent. The righteous who remains righteous. And the righteous who turns from his righteousness. And we get to choose which categories we want to be in. And we can reflect on which categories we've been in over this last year or through our lives. And allow God to start it anew, all things new, from this point forward. There's a um, story that happened a number of years ago. Uh, the railroad crossing was out of order and a busy intersection. It was a dark night and the company sent out a person to warn the cars and, uh, and a car came through the intersection. It was dark and foggy and the train came through and smashed the car and everyone in it died, the mother and the father and the two young children. Tragic. The brother took the railroad company to, to court and uh, a lot of people showed up. It was a well-known family in the community and there was a lot of feeling on both sides. There were people who worked for the railroad company, the people who were attached to the family. And as they brought the witnesses forward, they brought the, the man who was assigned to work that night to testify. And the prosecuting attorney asked him, were you at such and such an intersection on such and such a night? And he said, yes, I was. Did you see the car coming? Yes, I saw the car coming. Did you go out and did you have your lamp with you? He said, yes, I had my lamp with me. Did you go out and wave your lamp and, and try to warn the car of the train coming? He said, yes, I did. And he said, no further questions. And eventually the jury went and deliberated and they came back and they, they found the railroad company innocent on all charges. They had a watchman, they sent forth a watchman, and he warned, and they did not take heed and did not listen. So everyone was filing out of the courtroom, and the representative from the railroad company went over to the, the man who worked there that night, and he thanked him for giving his testimony and for his faithful service to, to the railroad company, and the man just hung his head, and, and he says, everything all right? And he just kind of shook his head and hung his head, and the representative said, you, you were there that night, weren't you? He said, yes, I was there that night. He said, you did have your, your lamp with you, didn't you? He said, yes, yeah, I have my lamp with you. You did go out and you did try to warn the car, didn't you? He said, yes, yes, I went out and I shouted and waved my hands. He said, well, what's the problem? 
He said, my lamp had run out of oil. We need to not only warn, we need the power of God to warn. We need to give the certain sound. Not just yelling and screaming. Not just pointing out, oh, you're wicked, you're wicked, you're wicked. But God in love comes to us and draws us to himself with a desire that no one should die in their sins. God has called us to be watchmen. He's called us to go out and warn, not to hit people over the head, not to be mean or cruel, not to be judgmental and condemning, but in love and in compassion, with God's spirit and God's righteousness, with God's power, to go out and in a loving way warn others. I mean, we would do that on a natural basis, right? Again, if there was a fire, we would, we would yell fire. If uh, you got something on sale, you'd tell other people, hey, look at this great sale going on. You know, go down there until two more days left, and, you know, we would tell other people, right? We want people to know. We send out announcements, you know, special event happening in our lives. And so naturally, when we receive the forgiveness of sins and the burden, the weight has been lifted off of us, and more than that, God's given us the power to not continue in the habits, not continue in our sinful ways, not continue in our wrong actions. It's so liberating and so powerful. And we just want other people to experience it as well. And when we're in that stage and experiencing it that way and sharing it lovingly with others, the light is shining and illuminating the path. And we're not just yelling and shouting and waving our arms we're pointing in the direction towards heaven, towards a loving God who loves them with an everlasting love, who does not want us to be miserable in our lives here and doesn't want us to die, wants us to live with him for eternity. He loves us and he wants us to be with him. So God has called us to give forth a warning and to prepare people for him. And so as we prepare for these 10 days of awe, as we move through these next 10 days, and as we prepare to pray tonight, invite us to allow God to search our hearts and try our ways, as King David said, and see if there be any wicked way in us, that he can remove those sins and set us free and liberate us. And so as we prepare to pray, um, I don't have to stand yet, as we prepare to pray, um, if, as you've looked at those list of things that were in this chapter, people that were in this chapter, God's brought to your mind that you're fallen to the category of being wicked. You haven't sought God. You haven't received his forgiveness. You haven't turned to him. You haven't confessed your sins. There's some sins on your record. And you want God to change that classification of your life today. In the moment when we pray, he'll do it right now. He's already provided the atonement. Between you and him, in a moment when we pray, you can confess whatever sins he's brought to your mind and accept his forgiveness, accept his love, accept his drawing, and accept his spirit to go forward with a new life from here on out. Two, if he's impressed your mind and heart, that you've been righteous, you've given your heart to God at some point in your life, maybe when you were younger, and you've lived a basically good life, but there's still some areas we've chosen to sin. Maybe you've gone back, maybe you've backslidden, maybe there's something that came up. Maybe you're doing real good for a while and something came up in your life 
and you're still angry about something or bitter about something or disappointed about something, or got involved in something you shouldn't be doing or aren't doing what you should be doing, and God's bringing that to your mind and you want to turn back to God. You want to receive his forgiveness again. You want to receive his embrace again. You want to hear him say to you, well done, my good and faithful child. And in the moment when we pray, he'll renew you again and give you that first love experience with him all over again. Three, if God's bringing to your mind someone that he's calling you to warn, someone he's calling you to be a watchman to, someone he's calling you to share God's love in some tangible way, maybe some act or some deed. You know, it's easy to love those that are loving. It's easy to love that those that are already righteous. Maybe God's calling you to love someone who's not so righteous, maybe someone who's still on the wicked side. Maybe someone who rubs you the wrong way, someone you don't naturally get along with. God's wanting you to love them. And more than just love them, present them the opportunity to receive God's love and God's forgiveness and God's mercy. Maybe by giving them a card to inviting them to the Yom Kippur service or a card about the ShalomAdventure.com magazine or maybe to pray with them or to share a book or something with them or just to tell them that you forgive them for the wrong that you did to them and that by God's power you love them. For some way that God's impressing upon your mind and heart, someone he's calling you to be a watchman to. Then the moment when we pray, let's ask God to give us his oil, his light, to burn it in us, burn it through us, and for him to go before us and to soften their hearts to receive his invitation. So if any of those areas apply to you, or, or maybe there's something else that God's been speaking to your heart and mind about through this week, and as we pray, let God do his work in your life. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. We're thankful, Lord, that you love us with an everlasting love. We thank you that you haven't given up on us. Thank you for forgiving us and cleansing us. Work in us and transform us. Put your laws in our hearts and minds and live them out through us. And make us shining lights to all those around us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.